0: to Forum Northwest with your co-hosts Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. We have one of the busiest attorneys in, a, in America, possibly the world, on the line with us for a few minutes, and that's attorney Benjamin Crump. I've been watching him on uh, all of the TV stations, all the news broadcasts for the last <laughs> four or five days. Well, actually the last year or two. But anyway, Benjamin Crump, why don't you give our listeners an update? Uh, everybody right now is looking at the J- J- Jacob Blake situation, and also i uh, like to have you comment on the NBA, the NFL, the WNBA, and everybody just saying, no, we're not going to deal with it today. Thank you, sir. Certainly. Mr. Rod,
1: thank you so much for having me and uh, using your platform to continue to talk about issues that matter to our culture the most. Um, Jacob Blake Jr. right now is still in a stable condition, but still in intensive care. Um, He had another surgery yesterday to continue to try to move uh, bullet fragments uh, from his spinal cord. Um, Obviously, as we prepare for the Great March on Washington tomorrow morning in Washington, D.C., his mother and father will be joining the families of George Floyd Jr., Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Uh, And the list goes on and on of these hashtags that we've come to know after police officers have uh, engaged in excessive, brutal use of force like what was demonstrated on Jacob Blake Jr. I mean, they shot him in his back, point-blank range seven times in front of his three little boys. And now they're trying to figure out how they can justify the unjustifiable uh in de- in- deliberate indifference, Mr. Rice? That's what it was. That's all you can call it when a person shoots uh, another person seven times in the back at point-blank range. You have deliberate indifference as to whether that person will live or die. And so that's why we are marching, especially when we consider they keep saying, well, you got to put it in context, don't rush the judgment. But yet you had a little uh, white boy who was a white supremacist go and kill two protesters who was exercising yeah. their First Amendment rights with an assault weapon. He kept that assault weapon around his neck as he marched down the road in front of the National Guard and law enforcement officers and Mr. White. Nobody shot him in the back, and nobody killed him. So the issue isn't with de-escalation. The issue isn't with police training. The issue is racism, because they can de-escalate just fine. When it's a white citizen, they don't shoot first and ask questions later. But when it's a black person, they shoot first and ask questions later. And we have the tale of two videotapes here in Kenosha, Wisconsin, to make our case.
0: That's right, and then you know also there's a situation in Tacoma, Washington, just south of Seattle, Manuel Ellis. So uh, that's another uh, that's something that's close to us as well. So we've been watching this closely, but yeah, it was really really amazing to see uh, this young guy walking down the street with a, a assault rifle, uh, with in front of all the law enforcement world, and nothing happens. But then we go back to Mother Emanuel Baptist Church a couple of years ago when Dylan Ruth went in and killed nine black folks at a, at a prayer at a prayer meeting. They let him in church and uh, the police didn't shoot him and took him to Burger King, got him a hamburger on the way to jail. Yep, yep. There's two justice
1: systems that exist in America, one for black America and one for white America. So, therefore, we're going to be marching to renew our commitment to make a more just society, one where George Floyd has the opportunity to take a breath um, and Breonna Taylor has the opportunity to sleep in peace. And Ahmaud Aubrey has the opportunity to run free. And Jacob Blake Jr. has the opportunity to enjoy his eight year old little boy's birthday party. And that's what we're fighting for for all of our children to have an equal opportunity. At the constitutional guarantees of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.
0: Well, well, Attorney Crump, uh, we won't be back in Washington, D.C., but we will be holding an event, virtual event in Seattle, uh, because, you know, we're in Martin Luther King, Jr. County, and Hayward Evans, I co-convene the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee. But if you could just take a couple of minutes and just talk about the march. I've heard Reverend Al talk about it. I've heard you talk about it as well. It uh, uh, just give us an idea of uh, who who will be there. Some kind of idea. We know you got the support of the NFL and the NBA and the WNBA <laughs> and, and even parts yeah. of baseball, which I never could uh, believe would have happened. So, let me go fast, Mr. Wright, because they're pulling me
1: away. Uh, okay. You got all these families: Mike Brown's family, Tamir Rice's family, Freddie Gray's family, <laughs> Eric Gardner family, uh, Alton Sterling family. Uh, Philando Castillo family, uh, Sandra Bland family, you got uh, Atiana Jefferson's family, you got Ahmaud Arbery's family, you got all these families coming together with uh, most of the members of the Congressional Black Caucus and most of the civil rights leaders across America to demand America get your knee off our necks. Thank you so much, Mr. Rocky.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Attorney. We'll really appreciate your time, Attorney Front. All right, God bless. Bye-bye. Okay, well, I, too bad I was trying to get you on with uh, with uh, Bishop Gary Tyson, but I know you've been pulled in a hundred different directions. But hey, what well, that leads us up to, uh, mentioning, uh, uh I was invited to go back to DC to the march as well, but I'm going to get on an airplane right now. Uh, but in terms of uh, locally, uh, matter of fact, when uh, Bishop Tyson comes on, He's, uh, he's uh, is one of the people that's going to be participating. But uh, why don't you just uh, briefly, until he gets on the line, uh, go over what's planned for Friday, the 57th anniversary of the 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom.
2: Oh, man, thank, thank you for that, Eddie. You know, this is going to be an absolutely fantastic program. Uh, we're going to once, once again reflect on Dr. King and the uh, 63 March on Washington, but also after 57 years, but also... Reflect on what got Dr. King and that whole movement to go there. So we're going to talk about that NSF check. And then, you know, they always say, follow the money, follow the money. Anything going on, follow the money. Through our limited research, we found trillions upon trillions of dollars have been denied to communities of color. And I know the people are going to be very, very surprised and interested in a lot of the facts. To the listenership. Did you know there was a uh, Civil Rights Act of 1875? Hmm. And how much was set aside? It only lasted two years. There's so much great information out there, and it speaks to it speaks to the unbroken line of white supremacy in America.
0: Hey, we have uh, Bishop Tyson's on the line. Hey, Bishop, Bishop hey, uh, Tyson. Yeah, grace and peace. Okay, well, uh, they pull. Uh, I was wanted to meet uh, Attorney Benjamin Crump. But about fifty people were pulling on him, so we weren't able to do that. But we're very happy to have you on. Uh, Bishop Gary Tyson is a pastor at Goodwill Missionary Baptist Church. He also is the president uh, of uh, the uh, General Baptist Convention of the Northwest, and uh, he is also a one of our leaders in our community. And so we wanted you to comment first of all, Bishop. Give us a little background to our listeners. And also, we'd like to have you talk about the organization, which you're the president of, uh, because uh, we don't really need all the Christians lining up to deal with this madness we are seeing right now.
3: Absolutely, uh, Brother Rye. God bless you. Thank you so much, uh, sir, for inviting me on the call today. You are a living legend here in Seattle in the greater uh, Pacific Northwest. We're blessed to have you in this region. Your voice mattered in the 60s, in the 70s, and certainly it matters today. And all the injustices that you have seen in the past, unfortunately, it's sad to say that you are still seeing them again. But thank you for being a drum major for justice and birthing such a powerful leader as your daughter uh, to get the word out and the message out to another whole level uh, on national TV. So I am most grateful to be on this call today. I am a native Floridian uh, born and raised in Florida in the deep south of a little small town called Stark, Florida, which was in between Gainesville, Florida, and Jacksonville, Florida. I was born in the late 60s, 1966, but I was born in a region, in an era where I can remember uh, even in the late 60s seeing whites-only restrooms, uh, whites-only water fountains, and I am a victim, my brother and I, of being chased by white men in huge uh, Ford pickup trucks lifted off the ground with rebel flags flying from the back of the truck. Uh, During that era when people spoke on CB radio and they had speakers where you could hear them outside of the vehicles, uh, I've been chased home uh, by big trucks and rednecks yelling, nigger boy, nigger boy, we're going to kill you. So I come from the Deep South. I come from racial wars at my high school, uh, with blacks and whites didn't really mingle together. So I come from the Deep South, and I came to the Pacific Northwest thinking that I had arrived, I had gotten away from all of that. Lo and behold, I realized that I hadn't, that racism uh, is not just in the South, it's in the Pacific Northwest as well and even in 2020, it is still alive and well. I came here to serve as the pastor of one of the leading churches in Seattle in the Pacific Northwest, the Goodwill Baptist Church, who has a long history of doing great work here in the greater Seattle area. I've served as their pastor now almost 18 years. Just about three weeks ago, I was elected as the president of the General Baptist Convention of the Pacific Northwest, which covers washington oregon utah and idaho i actually made history because i became the first elected president from seattle washington uh, all of the presidents that were elected came from portland oregon and pasco washington and so for that i'm most grateful for this new assignment that the lord has given me well that, that's uh that's quite exciting uh, uh bishop Now, I'd like
0: to have you reflect on uh, another thing I want to let people know is that uh, Hayward Bishop Tyson opened the doors to goodwill to promote equity through House Bill 1918, uh, one of the the first to step up and do that. And so, uh, as you know, Bishop, that uh, Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos was the sole sponsor of that legislation, and it passed through the House and the Senate unanimously. And uh, former state representative Jesse Weinberry said that is a rarity. It's uh, for a sole sponsor to have legislation go through without any opposition or without any amendments. So uh, I guess by coming through Goodwill, the legislation had a blessing all the way through Olympia. So now we're to the point where the board has been formed uh, for the Central District Community Preservation Development Authority, which will be known as the McKinney Center, named for the late Reverend Dr. Samuel Berry McKinney, who was responsible for that building being erected to house the Seattle Opportunities Industrialization Center, SOIC. Uh, So it's gone full circle, and it also kind of stops the gentrification and provides an opportunity for our folks to uh, fulfill the mission that Reverend McKinney had initially uh, 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 set out in terms of a goal and a mission of making sure that our people had the training that was needed. So uh, I just wanted to mention that uh, as well, now I'd like to have you also. I want to give my co-host an opportunity that hey Evans an opportunity to make a, a, a give you a question or a comment.
2: Uh, uh, first, Bishop Tyson, I got to say congratulations on your on your election to the General Baptist Convention of the Northwest. And uh, that truly, truly is a great honor. Uh, you know, Black churches have always been vital to the success of the civil rights movement, and you know the event coming up tomorrow, the 63 March on Washington. Can you share with our listenership your views about the march and how the church is gonna be playing a critical role in our continued struggle for equality?
3: Absolutely, Brother Hayward. Thank you for uh, that congratulations. I wanna back up before I move forward. I wanted to say to Eddie, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesse Wineberry's family, his father was a deacon at Goodwill Baptist Church. His mother was a deaconess. They were founding members of Goodwill Baptist Church. And so uh, Jesse Weinberry would have had it no other way if he had to twist my arm and karate chop me in the throat for me to support uh, the bill, but it was an easy support because certainly we want to bring equity back to our community and to uh, our people of color. And so for that, I am most grateful. Our doors are always open to push whatever initiatives that comes forth that can be of a great help and an asset uh, to, to our community. And yes, Brother Hayward, I'm very excited about the march on tomorrow. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to travel to go there, but I know several pastors and I know several people and even some um, Caucasian people from Seattle that I'm in relationship with that spent their own money and their own energy and time and effort to get there in the midst of a pandemic uh, to support the march. As you've just spoken, uh, Brother Eddie Rye, uh, the civil rights movement was birthed out of the church, You know, the black African-American pastor has always been on the forefront of the civil rights movement, Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and Reverend Abernathy and and so many others, our own living legend here in Seattle, Dr. Samuel Barry McKinney, who was instrumental in bringing Dr. King and uh, 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 Brother Abernathy and so many other uh, uh, great civil rights leaders to the Pacific Northwest and we're grateful to God that we have that opportunity to host them here. And so I'm excited about the march. It has a great purpose and a great need, and I'm grateful to God that um, we're continuing to march. Marching has its place. Uh, Protest has its place, even though there are many in society who don't believe that protests are still needed. Uh, The mere fact that uh, Brother Eddie knows that I opened our church Uh, Even when our church doors are not open, I opened our church back about a month and a half ago as we rallied around our chief of police, Carmen Best, and I brought together a conglomerate of pastors in the African American community, those who are part of the United Black Christian Clergy, as well as some of our Jewish rabbis, allies, and friends who are part of helping us protest and bringing to the forefront. The real issues of the racial unrest and unjust that was happening in seattle so we called it conversation with the chief of police and we just really wanted to show chief best that she had our support in spite of what decision that she made or she was forced to make that she still had the support of the african-american pastors and i was able to pull that together and it was a success for those of you who did not get an opportunity to see that you can go to our goodwill baptist church facebook page It is still on that page Um, over, I think, three, three, four million people have watched it up until this day. But I wanted to do that because I wanted to have a conversation with the chief and a conversation with the clergy, and I, I called it a conversation that will continue. And I think one of the things that we have a bad habit of sometimes is only picking up issues when things are hot. But I think that we've got to do, as what I teach our people, we've got to pray during the calm just as well as we do during the storm. We can't just wait until problems happen for us to be reactive, but we've got to learn how to be proactive. And so I'm in much support of the march in Washington.
0: Well, I just want to share with you, Bishop, that uh, you mentioned uh, uh, some of the the rabbis uh, teaming up with the black clergy. One of the rabbis will be on the program tomorrow between 6.30 and 8.30. Uh, It will be uh, Rabbi uh, Daniel Wiener out of uh, Temple De Hirsch Sinai,
3: uh, northwest, which is on uh, 15th Avenue. You can't make this stuff up, uh, Brother Rye. I had a meeting with uh, Rabbi Daniel Wiener at my church on Tuesday. Uh, I was meeting with him at his synagogue about a month ago. Um, One of the things that you may not know that I'm doing, and I want to share with you and Brother Hayward, because I heard him mention about gentrification in the Central District. I don't have to tell you all, you all have been here much longer than I have, but there was a time for those who are listening in that the Central District comprised of about 79% of African Americans. Uh, As we see it today, on on this Thursday, today, uh, August 27th, it's only about 16% of African Americans that are left in the Central District, and statistics says by 2025 that number is going to be down to about six percent. So, when you are when you are displacing African Americans out of the Central District, not only you're displacing people, but you're also displacing uh, people that would normally come back be in the Central District to attend all of our local churches, and so our local churches are declining. Not only are the people being gentrified, but churches are being gentrified. Here's a statistic that you all may not know, that over the last 10 years, there have been 12 African-American churches that have either closed, sold, or moved out of the Central District. Closed, sold, or moved out of the Central District. And as you know, there's not a sign outside of any church saying it's for sale, but quiet as it's kept... Um, There's about three churches in the Central District that are up for sale right now. Some have sales pending, and others are in the feasibility study process where there's an earnest money already been put down, and they're on their way out. And about this time last year, there was about 13 shootings in the Central District that happened in the span of seven days. Our good mayor and our good Council people came on TV, on all the news medias, and said, they don't know what to do. Perhaps we need to reach out to the pastors and the churches. Well, that was over a year ago, and I have still yet to receive that call, because all it it was was was, uh, smoke and and game. Um, And I said to myself at that point, well, what churches and pastors are you going to call because not only have the people the african-american people been gentrified out of the cd it feels like god has been gentrified it feels like god has been moved and so out of that passion i created an initiative that's called the nehemiah initiative and it's all about helping churches in our community repurpose the property properties that we own i don't know if you all know this but as quiet as it's kept the largest land owners in the African-American community in the business sector are the black churches in Seattle. I've done the numbers, and we own almost $250 million worth of property that developers are coming in and buying four pennies on a dollar. And so i purposed in my heart to offer churches an option other than selling their property. And through that, we've created the Nehemiah Initiative that was taken uh taken on and supported fully by the university of washington school of built environment of architecture so what i've been able to do is get them to teach a course in their school of built environments of architects on how churches can repurpose their property versus selling their property the first i have i
0: got uh, we're going to have to believe in a minute, but Hayward and I, uh, and yeah. through Hayward's contact, we have the largest black developer on the West Coast and possibly the country, uh, McFarland Partners. Yeah. Office in San Francisco. His last project was a 26-floor building in Los Angeles. Uh, he built a building in South Lake Union, and he has an office and a development team in Seattle, the Seattle area. So we have. That missing link. Uh, tell them don't sell anything, and we need to get together Go offline. Ahead. Come together. Hayward hey, can arrange a meeting for Victor McFarland to meet with us because he had suggested that with all the churches coming together. Oh. And, th- and we don't have to lose that because we would have to w- worry about the financing. Uh, we know this guy is as uh, credible, and like I said, he was one of the largest in the country, if not not the West Coast, if not, I think the country. Uh, McFarland partner. So. Uh, well, you, for you set to that today. up, Brother Eddie Hayward.
3: And, and I'm we there. I'll close with this. Um, you all know that the police department got defunded, and we were able to get the mayor to sign on to give the black churches in the city $22 million to build 1,000 housings for our people over the next three years. So we need to coordinate and meet immediately. And, so that'll happen, sir. Bishop,
0: God bless uh, you, you can go ahead thank and call you for the me. opportunity. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead and call the meeting with with the clergy members, and give us a couple of dates. And hey, we can coordinate with McFarland Partners, and we
3: can just go from there. We can't help
0: it. ourselves, sir.
3: Thank you yes, for sir. your w- what you're doing. Thank both yeah. of you all for the work that you all are doing. Y'all are leaders, and we're following your lead. Oh, it sounds like the Nehemiah Project is taking the lead. Amen. <laughs>
0: major, all right, major. right on. That's what it takes. Boom. Okay, then. It's God amazing bless. what we can do when we come together. Okay, Bishop Tyson, thank okay. you very much for your time today. You're welcome, sir. Uh, very we're gonna take a, We're going to take a break and come back with our next guest after this.
4: Why sit in bumper to bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City Tukwila and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress.
5: list your business in vendor connect a database of contractors attend port gin workshops to learn how to do business with the port learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org for more information on operating a concessions at seattle tacoma international airport visit lease.seatacshops.com make us part of your daily routine alternative talk 1150 Eddie
0: Ryan, what Evans back at Urban Forum Northwest, and uh, tomorrow is the 57th anniversary of the August 28th, 1963 March on Washington, D.C. for Jobs and Freedom. And it's also the event where uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. And they had over 250,000 people there, and they did not have email. They did not have cell phones. They did not have computers. But they did have a desire for freedom and justice uh, for black folks in this country. So as a result, the Martin Luther King uh, Commemoration Committee, as always, will be sponsoring anything, got to do anything with Dr. King. Uh, We'll be uh, doing a virtual uh, uh, event tomorrow from 630 to 830. And I'll let Hayward Evans, uh, the co-convener, go and provide the details.
2: You know, thank, thank you, Eddie. The, the, the beauty of it, and if anybody was listening to Bishop uh, Bishop Tyson, we're under siege in, this, in the central area, and we need to take back our properties. We need to protect our churches. The churches have been the cornerstone of the civil rights movement. But on that note, this year, we're going to absolutely look at Dr. King and what happened at the 73 March. But we're going to be looking at it also from a historical perspective. We want to go back and show since the founding of America, 1619, this unbroken chain of white supremacy in America. And you know, Eddie, that old saying, follow the money, follow the money. Well, what we've done is put together a history of the flow of dollars, starting with the first slaves in uh, what Jamestown, uh, 1619, 22 odd people. By the end of the Civil War, 1965 or 1865, there was over 4 million slaves living at that time. So if you look at from 1619 to 1865, and in 1865, 4 million, how many millions of people were enslaved in this country?
0: Yeah. Uh, Are there other aspects of the program?
2: Uh, Oh yeah, absolutely. There are other aspects. The other aspects include an award ceremony. We have uh, the Edwin T. Pratt uh, Community Service Award, That's going to be presented by uh, uh, Michelle Merriweather, the president and executive director of the Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle. We have the Tyree Scott Ordinary Workers Award. Usually it's it's equality in labor, but Tyree Scott, he always used to say ordinary worker, ordinary worker. So we picked out a great person to be the uh, recipient of that award. And I don't want to name him now, but, but we'll get to it unless you want me to, Eddie. No, 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 no. We have the Ake Karose Public Agency Award. Anybody knows Ake Karose, you have the middle school down here on Graham Street, uh, named after her in South Seattle. But she's done so many great things in education here uh, in our community. D. Charlene Williams had to go to the bank over 60 times in order to get a bank loan to buy the business that was D. Charlene's uh, uh, shop up there on 23rd. And so it's the D. Charlene Williams uh, Distinguished Business Award. And then, of course, the great Bernie White Bear. Bernie White Bear is the Legacy Award and my favorite, one of my favorite people of all time, Roberto Maestad, the Young Leadership Award, since he has the Leadership Academy up at El Centro de La They'll be receiving awards, but we're going to be hitting on issues of affirmative action and white empowerment. People need to understand that relationship. Affirmative action, most people started, started like in, in 1965 with the sign of the Civil Rights Act. No. Affirmative action was when the first slave was sold here in America. That was okay. their position. Heyward,
0: I, w- I want to let Eric know, whatever happened to my screen, I can't see. Uh, if anybody comes on, uh, so I know we're supposed to have Estella on, so I don't know if she's on yet or not. For whatever reason, I can't see. Heyward, you're going to have to monitor the screen. I don't know what happened to my phone, but it's not working. So, uh-huh. Eric, are we all right? Eric? Okay, was on. Okay. That's- Estella Ortega. Yes,
6: how are you doing, Eddie Wright?
0: Uh, and Hayward Evans, my co-host. And Hayward. Hayward. Yes, indeed. Estella Ortega is uh, the dynamic executive director of El Centro de la Raza. On the top of the hill, I know the developers are not too thrilled because they can see all around the city and the lake from uh, the fourth <laughs> floor of the building. And now she has 120 units of housing keeping people of color close by the jobs and transportation for sound transit right by there too. So, uh, but anyway, uh, I want to let Hayward go, go ahead and, and talk about the event with you and, uh, what you guys have discussed already.
2: Go right ahead. You, you. Well, Estelle just tell us about, well, what your role is going to be. And, and particularly if you can just highlight, cause I know we were talking about all of the things that have happened under, under this under this wide affirmative action policy that existed. We know about the, uh, the, Ameri- the, the Indian Removal Act of the 30s. We know about the internment of the Japanese, 41 to 45. We know about the, uh, uh, the uh, what was it? The Chinese Exclusion Act of 1836. But when you and I spoke on the phone, share with our listenership what happened to the Latino population in Southwest United States.
6: Okay, very good. Well, um, basically, in about 1838 or so, I probably don't have the exact year right, but there was the Mexican-American War, and at that time, you know, basically, the united that's when the United States took more than 50% of Mexican territory. And so, when it took fifty percent of Mexican territory, there was obviously Mexicans who were living there, and they were supposed to have been granted uh, you know citizenship you know that uh, the you that you could still speak your language and that um you know you basically wouldn't be discriminated against and from that day on when Half of Mexico became part of the U.S. That is when, um, you know, Mexicans begin to face incredible uh, discrimination um, by living, you know, on the side of of the United States. And the kind of discrimination that, you know, people are not aware of is that, you know, just as they pushed Native Americans, you know, you know off their land and just as when um you know slaves were freed and whatever land you know that they had you know they tried to steal it away well they did the same thing in texas and in other uh parts of um you know the other states the 50 percent of the state so the audience knows was texas california nevada utah um in parts of of Colorado and even parts of Louisiana, um, that was uh, that was originally Mexican territory, and so in the way that they would try to push people off the land, obviously was you know can I buy your land? No, we don't want to sell our land. Well, they would terrorize people, and you know create all kind of havoc. But the thing, the most important thing that people don't know around um, in particular what happened in in Texas is that many people were hung you know thousands of people were hung um, and um, and just incredibly discriminated against to um, there were signs as even as late as 1968 on the Mexican border that um, said you know no um, Mexicans um, no, no dogs are Mexicans allowed and it was not until you know we, that we had the Civil Rights Act of 1968 that that you know put an end to that that kind of, of, of signage and it was you know the 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 very famous uh, Texas Rangers that lynched thousands of our people with impunity which meant you know they weren't they weren't charged with with uh murder or any, any anything um so that that's the backdrop of you know obviously mexicans living uh in the united states and of course you know um we still see you know to this day the you know the violence of you know the police in terms of, of you know, their brutality toward Mexican people, Latino people also.
2: Well, Shelly, you know, on, on that note, because what I say, look, you look at the Constitution, the Article One, uh, people, African descendants, the Africans who were here were three-fifths of a man because of their color. Now you you folk are brown. Hmm. <laughs> where where do you know, where do you fit in that equation of stereotypes? And also I looked at that star, that Texas Ranger star it looks just like the star that the slave enforcement authorities carried a hundred years before. Same style.
6: Well, it all boils down to, I mean, just because we were Brown, didn't, didn't make it any better, you know, for us. I mean, they wanted our land, you know, and when they got the land, then they wanted our labor, you know, because they also, during, you know, the, the mid 1900s. And I mean, uh, yeah, Mid 1900s and later, you know, they would bring thousands of people under what was called the Bracero Program, bring thousands of people from um, Mexico to come and work in the fields. You know, because you know the the war was going on, and you know, and people really didn't want to do that. White people really didn't want to do that kind of work because it's backbreaking work you know, to, to work in the fields. And, you know, and here today, you know, to bring it current to the day, you know, many Mexican people still work in the fields and they are the essential workers at this point that are providing, you know, the foods, you know, the fruits and the vegetables and, and the grains that we eat, um, you know, today, you know, the, the meats that, you know, that are in our grocery stores, those who work in those meat packing, um, um, Companies, many of them are Latinos. And so we still, even though we're essential workers, we still face discrimination to the point that when that stimulus bill came out, the first stimulus bill, um, people who were undocumented, people who may have been married to an undocumented person, children who were U.S. citizens who um, had an undocumented parent were, did not have access to those funds. And so they were penalized because of their relationship with um, an undocumented. And at the same time, you know, um, many of our people who have been who, who are undocumented and who have been here decades, um, and, you know, they've done their income tax with their ITN number, they pay taxes on their paychecks, but yet they also were not able to collect any unemployment. And so um, Latinos certainly have been uh, hit hard, you know, as the African-American community uh, has, um, you know, with with the impacts of COVID that, um, you know, the disparities there have always existed. They've just come more to light now uh, during this time of COVID.
2: And, and I'm so glad they're coming to light because when they say, The other the other side says, well, pull yourself up by your bootstraps when you don't even have a pair of boots. I mean, come on now.
6: Exactly. Exactly. But
2: but if I can just ask you this, you're going to be one of our speakers tomorrow. And we're so honored uh, on behalf of the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee to present the Roberto Maestas Young Leadership Award. And you're the presenter. and Can you speak a little bit to that and share a little bit?
0: Of- <laughs> we, we get, we, we're running out of time. Hey, we're, we're running out of time.
2: <laughs> so it's
0: distinctive.
6: All righty. Well, I hope people will hear me tomorrow then, okay? <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. That's what we're going to have to do. We're, we're running out of time. But thank you very much, Estella.
6: Thank you for the so, honor, always. Oh, absolutely.
0: Now, it's an honor to have you on. The <laughs> All really right. appreciate you and what you're doing. Okay, uh, Eric, I guess we'll take a quick break and come back with Anila after that. Excuse me.
5: List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend Port Gen Workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com.
4: Why sit in bumper to bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress.
5: Wherever you go, Alternative Talk 1150 is here for you.
0: All right, Eddie Ryan, and Haywood Evans back to Urban Forum Northwest. I want to thank the Sound Transit Small Business Development and Labor Compliance Office, uh, the City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Office, SeaTac uh, Bar Group, LLC, uh, Concourse Concessions, and Stephanie Ogle does our technology. Uh, We now have uh, Anila Avzili on the line, who is the executive director of the American Muslim Empowerment, uh, amen, amen, (laughs) Empowerment uh, Association. But anyway, Anila has uh, several other hats, too. And uh, she's going to be one of the folks who's participating uh, and has been a member of the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee and has participated in the past, uh, not only that, but in marches as well. So it will be good to have Anila's voice, here, making sure that we hear from our Muslim brothers and sisters tomorrow. And Anila, I want to let you know that I also extended an invitation uh, to Imam Benjamin Shabazz as well. So uh, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. And uh, what, do, what do you think about the event that's coming up tomorrow?
7: Hello there, dear brothers Eddie and Hayward. It's always an honor to be with you on your show, and I'm always willing to stand with you and my black siblings and so many others in commemorating MLK and the 1963 march. I'm happy to hear that Imam Shabazz is going to be joining as well. Uh, As you mentioned, I've participated in past years in the great program that you've put together, and this year may be different because of the virtual format but I expect it to still be powerful and hopefully even a way to reach a larger audience in the struggle for jobs and justice that Dr. King pursued. So I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I know that the work that I do through the Muslim Association of Puget Sound, it's all about pursuing justice uh, for all communities, including the Muslim community, the black community, and others. And I'll just say that the Quran commands me, commands Muslims to stand firmly for justice for all, even if it's against ourselves or our families, whether rich or poor. And Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, specifically taught an anti-racist message 1400 years ago that all mankind is from Adam and Eve. A white has no superiority over a black, nor a black has any superiority over white, except by piety and good action or we could say character and conduct in Dr. King's words. And if only we had listened to those words. I I wish we had, because we would be in a different place today if we had actually listened to that. And of course, as you know, while I myself am not black, the, the struggle for black lives is my struggle too. Because if black lives actually mattered in our country, then Muslim lives would also matter. Immigrant lives and the lives of other people of color and all of us would also matter. And that is why I know you've heard me say this before, that Islamophobia doesn't just hurt me as a Muslim. It hurts all of us the very same way that all lives cannot matter until black lives matter. And Imam Shabazz is a perfect example of the fact that about a third of the Muslim community is black. And black Muslims have also been shot and murdered in our country by police and vigilantes as well, the very same way as George Floyd even. In fact, this week there was newly revealed evidence that shows Muhammad Muhammad Jr., a black Muslim man who was pinned down by Phoenix police officers with one officer putting his knee on Muhammad's neck. And in the video, Muhammad can be heard saying, I can't breathe many times and even please Allah. Allah is simply the Arabic word for God, of course. And one of the officers responded, Allah, he's not going to help you right now. And then another officer is heard saying, I don't feel a pulse. And then, oh, he's dead before turning off the camera. And none of those officers that were involved in Muhammad's death have ever been arrested or charged. And they're still employed by the Phoenix police department. So this really is a struggle that we are all facing collectively and need to be addressing collectively as well.
2: Amelia, I like what you're saying because, you know, I understand he who controls the present, i.e., has the power, controls the past, how they've been writing all the history and how this Mm -hmm. has been ignored so I'm so happy that we have these cell phones and how they can tape. And now it seems to be coming to light. But for our listenership, can you just give a background of you? They need to know something about you.
7: <laughs> sure, absolutely. So uh, I am, I tell people, a recovering attorney. I left my legal career in 2013 uh, after a spiritual transformation that I had. had you, really can brought you say
2: Harvard, me. Harvard
4: Law School? <laughs>
2: Go sure. go
7: Harvard. <laughs> yes, Harvard Law School graduates. Uh, before that, uh, the first in my family to, uh, to be blessed to go to college and get my college degree from the University of Oregon. So proud duck. Uh, and uh, yes, I decided I had to leave my legal career to really pursue service and knowledge, two things that uh, that Islam so strongly emphasizes, and especially at a time when I was seeing our country get divided, and, and this growing rift that was really tearing us apart, and the growing injustices that were becoming apparent, in part, as you pointed out, because we now have video evidence of so much. Uh, obviously the past we've had a lot of what's happening today has happened in the past as well but now it's being documented by video by phones and people are sharing it on the internet and we're hearing more about it so more and more people are waking up to this reality that our black siblings in our country our indigenous siblings people of color and others have faced and continue to face and this pandemic that a 400 year old pandemic is it has been going on for a lot longer than the health covid pandemic and it has taken far more lives too uh through that pandemic of racism the original sin as uh, as brother jim wallace has, has described it that has been part of our country from the very beginning the very founding so that's that's why i really left my legal career because i wanted to focus on these issues of justice and in the work that I do leading the American Muslim Empowerment Network, or Amen, uh, at the Muslim Association of Puget Sound, that's the kind of work that I focus on. And I have the honor and privilege of working with my black siblings, with my Latinx siblings, with different groups and organizations on the front lines of advocacy work, of justice work. Uh, and I'd love to be able to highlight sort of three initiatives right now that I'm currently uh, focused on, if, if, I, if I may. Please. Okay. So first off, we know that Islamophobia or anti-Muslim racism or bigotry, it increases around election times because politicians and pundits, they seek to exploit this anti-Muslim bigotry for political gain. Uh, and in fact there's a a core network of anti-Muslim hate groups that promote this and spend millions upon millions of dollars to demonize Islam and Muslims in our country and this is of course a tool that has been used throughout history to keep groups divided and really prop up institutions like white supremacy Uh, so what we're going to be doing is going to Reverend Terry Kylo and I are going to be launching or I should say relaunching our national facts over fear video campaign in September to combat some of the myths and misconceptions that people have about Islam and Muslims, and you can check that out at www.factsoverfear.org. Uh, second initiative is that we're also facing a growing, uh, Hindu supremacist movement in our country that is promoting anti-Muslim hate, uh, including a group called APPWW that is a Washington nonprofit uh, masquerading as a human rights organization. And over 140 diverse organizations representing Hindus, Muslims, Sikhs, Christians, Jews, Buddhists, Dalits, uh, black folks, indigenous, uh, folks, people of color, immigrants, refugees and more have condemned that hate. Including your prior speakers, Stella Ortega and El Centro de la Raza, because we know that that an attack on one of our communities is an attack on all, and that hateful rhetoric leads to violent actions. And you can go yeah, to
0: I, I have to say, I have to say, in all fairness, that that, that organization, uh, they, I do want to say, that they were feeding poor people, and they have committed to do some other things with the black community. Uh and Folks can be against a lot of things. I just want to say that yep. the black uh, community enough. needs help. The black community yep. needs help. And we're not going to turn no meals down, uh, no mm-hmm. training down, no technology training down. And if anybody want to help the black community, we'd love to have them do it. We're not turning turning help down. We're not in a position to, uh, to dismiss anybody's help.
7: Fair enough. You and I have talked about this, Eddie. Let's make sure we make that happen and get a lot more help because I agree with you. We need to support said, our these
0: black people and other communities. They need to eat. Yep. We need training, we're at the bottom of the rung when it comes down to contracts, when it comes down to employment, when it comes down to education, and we can't afford to turn any help down. And it might be a lot of organizations, but United Black Christian Clergy with Pastor Lawrence Ricky Willis is coordinating feeding people. We got people that are hungry, people that are living in tiny houses, villages that need some help. And we're not in a position to turn any help down from anyone. And while people might uh, disagree with their politics, Those people are not bringing any food to to the black community, they're not bringing any jobs, they're not bringing any technology. So I'm just saying,
7: I'm against injustice
0: as well, but our community cannot turn down any help from anybody.
7: I hear you, Eddie. You, we, we talked okay. about this. You're going to get me connected. We'll make sure we do that. But the third initiative yes. that I want to make sure I, I mentioned before we run out of time is that we joined the new Washington for Black Lives Coalition that recently launched, and it's driven by black-led organizations, and the work is focusing on three specific demands. The first is actually the one you were just talking about, which is investing in black and brown communities. Uh, the second one is defunding police and prisons, and the third one is demilitarizing the police, and folks can go to Washington to find that because we okay. recognize well,
0: exactly we, we like what to you're have those, to those folks we like to have them on the air as well because we are yes. progressive and we look forward to your statement and thank you for your participation in the Martin Luther King commemoration committee you have been there of course. so uh, and we go we like you said working to make things better for everybody and there's a large Absolutely. segment of this city that as homeless and a a significant number of blacks, they have whites there too, but a significant number of blacks. And if, you know, we cannot afford to turn help down from anyone and they did something we need, as some people say, walk in my shoes for a mile or two and you might see what I mean. So, Anil, thank you very much. I I really appreciate all the work you do.
7: I appreciate being on your show and standing with you always, Eddie. Thank you so much, uh, Eddie N. Hayward. Have a great day.
2: And we'll hear from you you tomorrow.
0: Okay. Yes okay <laughs> okay so uh i didn't I didn't I can't see the time eric how are we doing on time okay so hey we want you wrap up uh and and let folks know in two minutes uh
2: who else we have on the program yeah tomorrow 6 to 9 30 we have a, a great group of people and also the singers josephine howe is going to be second. Everybody knows she can blow. Chandler and Williams. Chancellor Williams. And he's absolutely fantastic. We have a, a young actor, artist, uh, Peyton Barnes. He's going to be doing his uh, excerpt from Carter G. Whitson and Malcolm X. He's absolutely fantastic. We have, a uh, Chardonnay is going to be doing the, uh, what a uh, poetry reading slash spoken word. She is fantastic. You're going to love her. And, uh, I think just overall, it's going to be a great show. We have so many people. and so it's
0: many. 6.30, 6.30, to 8.30. And uh, if you go to MLKCC website, uh, we'll be putting the word out tomorrow. We're, we're, it's going to be on all social media. So we're out of time. I want to thank all the guests today. Wish you'd have had more time with, with uh, Attorney Benjamin Crump, but it all worked out. Thank you, Bishop Tyson, Estella, and Anil Alzili, Thank you for j- your time today. So thanks, Eric. Talk to you.